Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mountshoot. And I'm Coach John Shoot. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. Hello, I'm Matt Bush, the news director here at Blue Ridge Public Radio. I help the Shoops produce Going Deep. And in this episode, really it's an accompaniment episode, uh, a companion episode to our previous one where John and Marcia spoke with Ramogi Huma, who helped spearhead the bill in California that will allow college athletes to earn money off of their name, image, and likeness during their time in school. Well, since that episode was done and recorded on Tuesday, October 29th, the NCAA's top policymaking group unanimously approved uh, something similar, but not quite similar, which is what we're going to start looking at in this episode. So on October 29th, the NCAA's top policymaking group unanimously voted to permit students participating in athletics to the opportunity to benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness in a manner consistent with the collegiate model. Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, when you look at that sentence, from where I sit, the NCAA has really done nothing uh, with regards to their position. Uh, they have come out and used the words name, image, and likeness in a press release to try to make people think that they are budging from their position. But one word that's very alarming to me is uh, just the word benefit. Uh, benefits in the language of the NCAA are not the same thing as money. And so uh, they are investigating the possibility of players benefiting from their name, image, and likeness. Uh, I would have liked to have heard them say getting paid because that's what the state of California has said. A benefit could be the cost of books. A benefit could be a plane ride uh, home over a vacation. A benefit could be an extra sweatsuit. There's a lot of things that benefits could be, but it's not necessarily money. And then the second phrase that really just makes the entire uh, sentence old news is in a manner consistent with the collegiate model. Well, what the Fair Pay to Play Act in California came out and said was the collegiate model's illegal. <laughs> the collegiate model doesn't work. And so for the NCAA to say we're willing to look at offering benefits as long as they fit within the collegiate model is kind of what they already do. And if you look closely at it, and people have, uh, it's almost just an eye roll of how could they be this clumsy? Well, um, I don't know if clumsy is the word I would use. I think they know exactly what they're doing. They have some signature moves that they that are very successful for them that they that they deploy over and over again. One is that they create these working groups to you know, to explore these problems, to create um, 
the illusion that they're actually like truly beginning to look at things from a different perspective. But if you look at the mandate for this working group, it was this extremely limited lens for how can we how can we begin to talk about name image and likeness in a way that protects all of these different aspects of the collegiate model and it's not just that it's just benefits but that the benefits have to somehow enhance the experience of these people being students first they use that language that that Anything we do with name, image, and likeness has to um, enhance and support the reality that these these people are students first. So if you take that, just that, you've already kind of unearthed a hypocrisy in this whole working group that they're not really looking at at the issues here. They're not really looking at what it is that makes the the um, the bar on athletes not being able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness a problem. And that is that every other student on campus can benefit from their name, image, and likeness, except for athletes. Another part of the mandate for the for the working group was that nothing that the NCAA decides about um, a change in policy around name, image, and likeness should allow athletes to be treated differently than any other um, student on campus. I believe that's the first bullet point here. Yes. So, well, you've already violated your own maxim there. They are treated differently because they can't benefit from their name, image, and likeness. So there's there are layers of of hypocrisy just in the kind of this facade that's being created around that an actual um, exploration of what should happen is happening, you know, should should change around name and image and likeness is happening. The other thing I want to point out just before we move on to some of the more subtle points, because none of this is subtle, it's pretty obvious, is that the working group itself was composed of 19 people, 16 of whom are very powerful people in the NCAA. Um, Big East Commissioner, the Big 12 Commissioner, um, other ADs at other schools, and three of the people on this working group were athletes. One male Division One athlete, one male, one female Division One athlete, and one Division Three athlete. One of the hallmarks of white supremacy is that those most impacted have the least power in making decisions that will impact them. The, the whole system here, the whole framework for making these decisions and changes is a setup for players, those most impacted, to have the least amount of influence in what decision will be made. So, and again, that's a hallmark of the way NCAA, the NCAA does business have working groups, say they're including a player's voice, but it's it's always set up for players to to really not have a, a great deal of influence on the decision. 
I do want to go into some of these bullet points here. And now mm-hmm. you already kind of began to address the first one, which is assuring student athletes are treated similarly to non-athlete students unless a compelling reason exists to differentiate. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Maintaining <laughs> the priorities of education and the collegiate experience to provide opportunities for student athlete success. So or what's one? Let's look at this. Break this down. We'll, we'll, you know, like we used to do in sixth grade English, where we break things down: subject, predicate, object, all yeah. that. Priorities of education. What are those? So I just want to say that again, this is this is just typical NCAA methodology for creating and creating an illusion of commitment to the welfare of athletes. So they're talking about priorities of education. The entire eligibility system that is set up by the NCAA is not about academic achievement or learning. It is about people being able to play in their competitions by having a certain grade point average. There's nothing in there about learning. There's nothing in there about growth. There's nothing in there about a person being able to study things they care about. There's nothing about the way the NCAA relates to academic um, metrics of success that has anything to do with um, the academic, quote-unquote, well-being of athletes. So the fact that they're now using something some kind of principle that we can easily prove that they don't actually value to to put it there on one of these bullet points to say this is the way we're going to measure whether this new rule is um adhering to our standards it's so slippery there is no standard in their current way of doing business that really actually values academic achievement would you agree with that the priorities of education in collegiate sports is simply eligibility keep players eligible period the end that's the priority and with regards to the collegiate experience. So that's the next part of the sentence, <laughs> the collegiate experience. What is that? The collegiate experience is if you are a college football player or basketball player, staying out of trouble and off the radar. Listen to this. I, I, I mean, the first part of it that we talked about where assure student-athletes are treated similar to non-student-athletes. Well, that's just bunk from the beginning with regards to non-student-athletes are allowed to get paid. <laughs> student-athletes aren't. So it's just bunk from the beginning. But think about this. There are uh, Division One programs now that track their student-athletes 24 hours a day, seven days a week with tracking devices in their phones. So they know where they are every single day. 
Now, I knew if a player made it to class or didn't make it to class because we had people that would go check that class. Now they know Friday night if a guy is at a bar in his dorm resting or at a fraternity house. You know, part of going to college, part part of the collegiate experience is making mistakes. (laughs) is screwing up lord knows i messed up enough in college and these athletes that is completely removed and it's intentional i mean the priorities of education are strictly for eligibility and the collegiate experience has come come down to Coaches now are tracking where their players are 24-7 to make sure that this highly valued athlete who's the face of uh, uh, our team doesn't screw up. Doesn't screw up. All right, then. Student-athlete success. (laughs) Define that. Is that throwing for 300 yards in a game if you're a football player or, you know, a basketball player sinking a three-pointer? I don't know. What's student-athlete success? I just think that goes back to what we have just been saying. There are clear markers that tell us that, that the real success that matters, the real success that the school wants to safeguard against disrupting in any way are our athletic successes. And I would say Ramogi, I think, brought this up in that episode of, you know, year to year now, that scholarship isn't guaranteed anymore. It's not guaranteed. So success would be performance-based. That's right. Success is performance-based. Your scholarship is performance-based. And the other thing that um, is clearly a standard practice is that If they think you're not going to get a good grade in a class, if they think you're not going to be able to stay eligible, but it's a class you're interested in or even a major you're interested in, they're going to steer you away from that. Now, another part of college is is figuring out what you love, figuring out what you're interested in. Also, taking some hard classes and really pushing yourself. All that's taken off the table. Um, And in a lot of schools that have high-power revenue sports programs, there are just a very few majors where you're going to see those revenue athletes. And those are the majors where they know they can, quote-unquote, succeed, which is not based on, um, as I said before, learning and growth. It's based on eligibility, being able to stay on the field. So if scholarships are now performance-based, as you were describing there, we're going to skip ahead to a different bullet point. It's actually the bottom one here. Reaffirming that student-athletes are students first and not employees of the university. So if their scholarship is athletic performance-based, which increasingly that is the case, how do you say they're not uh, employees of the university? That's how professionally employees are judged is by their performance. Mm -hmm. They're not students, right? Right. Well, Not first. All right. Well... (laughs) I have a problem with the phrase student athlete, period, the end. <laughs> I mean, to me, I, I, I try to use the uh, phrase co- college athlete. Uh, they're athletes that happen to be in college. But as Marcia indicated, uh, there's never been a Division One athlete that I coached that got to choose his entire, that got to choose his schedule. It's chosen for him. 
Uh, he may have a little bit of an idea in terms of a broad direction that he, he wants to head. Uh, but that schedule is chosen for him. Now, you know, there will be a lot of pushback to anybody that says to you scholarship to you saying scholarships are performance based it's a lot more nuanced to get a guy off of scholarship than people realize but there's certainly ways to do it so here's what you do So in college football, you're allowed 85 players on scholarship. And say you have four quarterbacks, and the freshman quarterback that you just recruited, you find out is going to be a lot better than the sophomore quarterback that you've recruited. One, you can encourage that young man. You can say to him, you're you're not going to play here. You might want to look at transferring to try to get that scholarship back. Two, this happens more than people realize. You can be medicaled and still remain on scholarship, but not count in the number of 85. And so if you... Thanks to the boosters. Thanks to the boosters, yeah. So if you have an ankle injury... Me- meaning you have a program that boosters has Boosters pay for those scholarships. Boosters. Boosters right. pay for those scholarships. So, so, Just wanted to clarify that well, for everybody. Yeah. yeah, understand this. And then a, a college football team is... A, a Division One college football team is allowed 85 scholarships. There's a lot more than 85 men on scholarship. They only have to count 85. If a guy sprains his ankle and misses two weeks you keep all the paperwork and you tell him he can't come back he's not just right yet you can find injuries and the concussion one has been one that coaches have used to their advantage oh this guy's just had more and more concussions we're gonna have to medical him having to medical somebody in coach speak isn't bad news 90% of the time. Having to medical someone in coach speak means, sweet, we got that scholarship back. There's no hard feelings. It's not bad news for the coaches. It's not bad news in coach. Yeah, for the coaches in coach speak. If it's not bad news for the coaches, then it's not bad news for the university. Right. Right. And And so you would get pushback from people that say the scholarship is a performance based there are some schools that will say we guarantee guarantee. at least four years there's other schools that will will say that but they just don't Mm -hmm. uh there are ways to massage the situation to get scholarships back and you know every every college football team that i've been on we've had 85 people that count but we've probably had close to 100 players that we're on a football scholarship. And it's because we just massaged the situation to get that number back. So read that again. Reaffirming that student athletes are students first and not employees of the university. So the the National Collegiate Players Association 
executive director, Ramogi Huma, has maintained for years and years that athletes are paid and that athletes are employees of the university. They're paid in the form of a scholarship. And you will hear people who are who are against pay-for-play, they already get money. They get a scholarship. There are all sorts of ways to interrogate you know, how scholarships are payment. But the National Collegiate Players Association maintains that, that scholarships are payment. That's why they're getting a scholarship is because they're an athlete. If they weren't an athlete, they wouldn't be getting that scholarship. And that those are wages and that the wages are fixed. The wages the, are are artificially fixed. It's price fixing. For them, this isn't even an argument that, uh, yes, players are paid, they're paid already, and the prices are fixed artificially, and that's against the law in this country. Now, saying that they want to maintain that players are not employees of the university about name, image, and likeness is a smokescreen. This has nothing to do with the university paying players anything. Right, and we're going to get to, I think there are two bullet points here that I think contradict each other. Right. But certainly one, you know, we talked about at the beginning there, uh, you know, uh, benefit from the use of their name, image, and likeness. One of the bullet points here is making, uh, making clear that compensation for athletics performance or participation is impermissible. Right. Well, I, Huh? So that leaves them again. That none compensation of, is another word that can be very right. Uh, and also, how do if you connect ambiguous. name, image, and likeness to performance or participation? That means you could say you can't benefit by because you're a participant on this team. Well, then, and and again, that gets back to the way the rules are already. They are so ridiculous. Like a player can't put a picture on a flyer that says they'll walk your dog, okay? If there's somebody that people will recognize as a as the, as the quarterback on the Alabama football team, they can't have a picture. They can't have their name on a flyer that says they'll walk their dog. I remember a specific instance, and this may involve North Carolina, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or right, but uh, a player showing up at a party Mm-hmm. It was advertised that they would be. Oh, there. that was Dwight. That was Dwight Jones. Right. Uh, that that was illegal. Now I don't know what compensation they may have been getting for it, but they it was were, just on a flyer a, that they were going to be at this party. And there was a to show up. there was a um, a door. Um, what's it called when you cover charge a cover a cover charge? It was a birthday party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these players were there, and maybe you wanted to meet these players I, or whatever. And actually, the players weren't there. Oh, okay. It, it was Dwight's cousin was having uh, a, a a party. party. And he put Dwight's picture up on, on a flyer, flyer so people would come to the party. And Dwight, <laughs> Dwight didn't, didn't even know, even know about it. it. But that was illegal. And oh, that yeah, was illegal. Got, he, and Dwight was uh, about to be suspended until, you know, I went with him and met with the athletic director and we got a lawyer and fought it, our, our friend Bob Orr. But... Uh, you know, <laughs> that just the name, image, and likeness. That's literal yeah. likeness, and wasn't benefiting from it. But it what, could have. It what? could be selling donuts. It could have nothing to do with it. But if they're benefiting, like if they're going to sell more donuts because they're a football player on at Alabama or whatever, that's a violation.
it's important to realize the people in power know exactly what they're doing in try, trying to keep these athletes in their place. In the summer of 2015, the summer before my last year at Purdue, uh, the entire athletic department has a, a summer meeting before the school year starts. And at this meeting, uh, all the football staff, basketball staff, every sport is there. And one of the speakers was a lawyer uh, from the Big Ten office. And he came and talked about uh, the TV contracts and how much money is going into the Big Ten. And at the end, um, he said, are there any questions? And I raised my hand and my question was, What's at stake for the Big Ten or Purdue University if a player makes money off their name, image, or likeness? And there was silence in a room of 400 people. And he didn't know what to say and really stammered for quite a while. And what he came back at me with was, well, what are you saying then? That somebody would go to the University of Texas and some booster would pay them thousands and thousands of dollars to do a car commercial? You think that would be fair? And, and I, said that, I said, yes, I do think that would be fair. And the athletic director came up on stage, grabbed the lawyer, and said, we're done. And that afternoon, I was called into my head coach's office, and my head coach said to me, what are you doing? The head football coach said to me, what are you doing? This is a pretty good deal. You can't take on a billion-dollar industry yourself. I said to him, I just asked what's at stake (laughs) with name, image, and likeness what's at stake and I think it's important to realize the university won't have to pay a cent if the quarterback at Purdue University wants to do an ad for the local hamburger joint gets free meals at the local hamburger joint or drives around in a car from the local car dealer it won't cost anybody at Purdue a cent Where it might cost them is the opportunity cost for the people who have been just grabbing that money, stealing that value from those players for all these years. And I, frankly, was one of those people. Uh, If I were to ever go back to college and players did make money off their name, image, and likeness, I might not have the same car dealership. Nike contracts that I had whenever I was a coach and I might not get the same cash bonuses if my players have the highest GPAs Mm -hmm. Uh, there might be a lot of things that would be different but there's not a cent that would come out of the university's bank account there just may be a bit less that goes in
As listeners can probably guess, John and Marcia have a whole lot more they'd like to say about this particular topic. So we'll get to that in our next episode. We'll finish off the NCAA bullet points about their decision. Plus, we'll look at how race and geography fit into this particular issue. Thanks for listening. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep@bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at ShoopsGoingDeep. Deep.